I just love the way that our service has progressed. In the, I don't know if I've thought about this before, but the, the fact that we're here, the fact that we're sitting together um, as a family is, and as people of God, and uh, is, is uh, testament, I think, to what, what God is doing here, what God has been doing in our lives. And what God has been doing is he's been showing us that we have nothing but Christ. Um, we have nothing. And that song that we sang earlier, All I Have is Christ. That's so true. Uh, I, I, one of my favorite preachers, he, um, he said this. Um, sometimes we say that Christ is all we need. Um, that doesn't go far enough. Christ is all that we have. He's the only hope that we have. And the songs that we sang, uh, the cross, why did the cross have to happen? Because the only hope that we have is what Christ has done and what Christ continues to do in our life. Why do we sing about... Um, why do we sing about sin and why do we sing about death and the grave? It's because we have no hope and our, the fact that we're here is an acknowledgement, our own acknowledgement that we are helpless. Um, the song that, the song early, All I Have is Christ, it says, um, the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. And I hope that we recognize that this, that all of life is Christ. Christ is living through us if we're doing anything good at all. And, uh, that and the, the prayer is uh, uh, is a testament to our um, utter helplessness, our total dependence on God. And when you see the floods, when you see um, people dying of cancer, when you see uh, natural disasters, it's God telling us, "You guys have nothing. You have no control over anything." And uh, and as we go into this time of just Looking into the God's word, I want us to continue thinking about that, that God is the one that does the work in our lives. And we have no hope in becoming better people. We have no hope in overcoming our sins, if not for Christ. And Christ alone is our hope. It's not uh, that God will make us better so that we can try harder. Um, that is not the gospel. The gospel is that you are weaker than you can imagine, but you're loved and you're empowered more than you can imagine. So... Uh, we're going to look through the book of Mark today. Um, will you guys stand with me? We're going to read from God's word. And uh, standing is, uh, this is what, uh, uh, this is us giving proper, Matthew Mark, uh, it's us giving proper uh, uh, recognition to the strength and power of God's word. So we've got these uh, 23 verses, they're long, um, stick with me. Chapter 7, starting with verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but the heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. 
But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters his heart from his stomach and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things, evil things, come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of God. You guys can have a seat. And God, I just pray that you would, uh, you would speak with power in your word, that you, would, that you would teach us from your word, that you would open our hearts to your word, and we trust in the power of your word, that your word... Uh, cuts into our hearts and into our lives, and I pray that you would open our our minds and our hearts as we uh, spend the next few moments together in your word, and do your work, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So we see in this passage another confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, and uh, in the coming moments, I, I want us to uh, see what's going on in this passage, and I want us to, to uh, hear uh, hear what Jesus is saying. Not just to hear with our with our word, with our ears, but to understand, to take in what is being said, and for us to understand our desperate situation without Christ. So the scene opens with uh, with the disciples. They're eating whatever they're eating, like. Uh, matzah ball or something, whatever Jews eat. Nom, nom, nom. The Pharisees come in and they see, they see Jesus' disciples eating. And they notice, like, hey, Jesus, your disciples, they have not washed their hands yet. Uh, that would make them unclean. That, would, that means they're eating, uh, they're, they're, do, they're doing something defiling. Um, they didn't, so, so the Pharisees, like, I wonder, like, for the Pharisees to understand, to, to know that the disciples didn't wash their hands yet, what were they doing? Like, are they like checking in on them, like when they go to the bathroom to wash their hands? Or, uh, like, I think that what's happening is that the Pharisees didn't just walk in, walk in and notice. I think that what happened was that they saw th- that they were waiting for for these disciples to not wash their hands, and they were waiting for them to eat so that they would they could accuse them of doing something wrong, um, more specifically so that they could confront Jesus about it, because the Pharisees, they were uh, not only nitpickers, they, they were looking for reasons to judge people. They were looking for things to point out in people that are, say, you guys are doing something wrong. So if we look in this passage, verse 3, uh, this, it, it explains uh, to us what the, what the disciples are reading. So I'm going to read, sort of read through the, this passage again, so that's kind of what I'm doing. Uh, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come to the, from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. 
And it also talks about the other traditions that they have, like washing the cups and the pots and the couches even. Um, and the Pharisees, they ask Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So remember that the Pharisees, religious leaders, they were dri- their whole lives were driven by the Mosaic Law, but it wasn't merely the Mosaic Law. Uh, they, they, and when they're talking to Jesus, they're appealing, they're, they're seeing what the disciples have done, and they are going back to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, they, I mean, they didn't just pull this rule out of thin air. They said, um, we're going to appeal to the Old Testament. In, in uh, Exodus, it's actually God commanded the priests. He says, if you guys are going to engage in tabernacle um, worship and if you're going to sacrifice animals beforehand, you need to wash your hands. Afterwards, you have to wash your hands. And this is what makes it clean. It's a ceremony. It's not merely a physical thing of not getting germs or anything. It's a physical thing. So Jesus, so the Pharisees are saying, um, we're going to appeal to this Mosaic law. Um, but what is the problem here? I mean, it's, it's, it's all good and well that they were following the, the command. But what they were doing is they were extending the commandment beyond what, the, what Exodus prescribes. So what were they doing? Uh, it wasn't just for them. It wasn't just the priests that had to wash their hands. And it wasn't only, the, it wasn't only temple sacrifice or tabernacle, uh, worship in the tabernacle, that they had to have clean hands. They said, well, you know, yes, do that. But let's go further and say, not only priests, but everyone. And not only for, sac- for temple sacrifice, but just everyday, everyday eating. They said, you have to wash your hands. And if you don't, then your hands are defiled. Uh, so, so the problem is that they didn't. They went beyond what Scripture taught, and it says that these rules came from the elders. And before we, I mean, like we we have a uh, a habit, I guess, of blasting the Pharisees before they ever before they um, as soon as we read the word Pharisee, okay, immediately we think bad person, bad person. But let's think about where these rules came from. So it came from their elders, and I think that these that these uh, rules and uh, the laws that they came up with, they may have come from good intentions. Uh, let me give you some, a couple of reasons why they might have created them. The first reason was this. The elders made laws uh, more granular. They made them more um, low-level so that uh, these laws could be kept in everyday situations. So, um, so for us, like sometimes we say, okay, for Christians, you should um, do your morning devotions every Every, uh, every day, every morning. Um, so it's something that's doable. It's something that you can keep. So it's really not that difficult to wash your hands before you eat, right? I mean, we do that all the time. So they're saying by doing this, you're, you're being obedient to God. You're keeping the commandments. Uh, number two, they deferred or they deterred pagan influences and encouraged Jews to make a conscious effort to distinguish themselves from pagans. So... The Jews were the only ones that God communicated these commands, these the laws to. The Ten Commandments were for the Jews. Um, and the, the laws, the commandments, these were a gift to the people of Israel. These pagan nations, whatever God they, they worshipped, they didn't they weren't they didn't get laws, they didn't get commandments, they didn't get um, ways of maintaining relationship from their gods. So what they did was they said, Oh, well, you know, if if a tree fell on my fell on my house and destroyed my house, I must have done something wrong to make the gods angry. Uh, so I'm going to do this sacrifice. Oh well, my car like 
the transmission blew out. Um, I must have not appeased my God correctly, so I'm going to do this other uh, sacrifice, or I'm going to put something on the altar of this God. Um, they, they were always guessing. They didn't know what it was they had to do to maintain the relationship, to keep their, to keep their, their God, their little G-God, appeased. These Jews, when they got the commandments, when they got the rules from God, it was a gift because it told them exactly what they needed to do to maintain relationship with them. The, the, the covenant relationship that they had. God gave them the rules as a gift. The, gift the, the rules were a good thing for the Jews to have. Um, the third reason was this. They encouraged observers to extend the law into areas they could control. So I can control my hand washing. I can... I can uh, do everyday things. So these, so these elders that the, the Pharisees were um, calling upon their, their rules, they were saying, well, you know, like, these are good things. Let's make them into commands. And uh, in time, they became more than just um, suggestions. They became more than just guidelines. They became laws. So as the Pharisees, as these, as these rules became laws, as they imposed them on other people, it shows us that the Pharisees' hearts were becoming hardened. And then now we can blast the Pharisees. Now they're doing something wrong. They're extending the command beyond what it should have been. Scripture didn't teach that. And it got so bad that the Jews, the Jews, they, 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 the, um, these traditions and these rules that the elders set up, they took precedence over what the Word of God said. What they read in, in, their, in their Bible, uh, it was like, that was secondary to what these teachers taught. And that was, a, that was what Jesus was accusing them of. So the problem was not that they had guidelines. The problem was not that they had uh, some rules. It was the fact they made them go beyond what God's Word said. And they placed precedence over what God's command said. So in time, it got to a point where to break one of the elders' commandments, one of the elders' rules, uh, was worse than violating something in Scripture. That's how bad it got. So Jesus, he, he, uh, when they ask him a question, Jesus doesn't answer them directly. He says, instead he quotes this from Isaiah. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. This is exactly what they're doing. This is what um, we're talking about. They left the commandment of God. Another translation I like is, uh, I think it's the uh, NIV. It says that they abandoned what was taught in the Bible. And they instead preferred the traditions of their elders. So he doesn't answer the questions. He quotes them from... Uh, he quotes what Isaiah said, and he calls them, what does he call them? He calls them hypocrites. This is the, the Pharisees were the epitome of the hypocrites. The word for, the Greek word for hypocrites is hypocrites, uh, and what this means is, it means a pretender or an actor. It means that these Pharisees are pretending to be something. They were acting out some sort of religious duty. Um, it's them putting on a mask and it's them hiding what's really going on in their hearts. It's them hiding what's going on in their life. So when someone calls you a hypocrite, what they're saying is the person you are, the person that you, you are in public is not the person you are in private. There's something going beyond this front that you put up. And this is what Jesus is saying. You guys are hypocrites. You guys are putting up a front. But I see past that. I look into the heart. So why did these, why did these Pharisees, why did they embrace religion? Um, it's because it gave them a way.
Have I been talking without a mic the whole time? Oh, okay. All right. I feel like I should be telling a joke now. <laughs> What's the deal with corn nuts? So, um, so we like the rules because the... We like religion because rules are easier to keep. There's a guy named uh, Derek Webb, and he wrote a song called The New Law. And I think that the words in his song, it, it captures the mindset of, of the Pharisee, of us. Uh, it, says, it says this, Don't teach me about politics and government. Just tell me who to vote for. Don't teach me about truth and beauty. Just label my music. Don't teach me how to live like a free man. Just give me a new law. I don't want to know if the answers aren't easy, so bring it down from the mountain to me. I want a new law. Give me that new law. Don't teach me about moderation and liberty. I prefer a shot of grape juice. Don't teach me about loving my enemies. Don't teach me how to listen to the Spirit. Just give me a new law. We want a new law, don't we? We want someone to tell us, don't do this. Don't listen to this type of music. Uh, don't watch these type of movies, read these type of books. Uh, but that's not, that, that becomes conformity. So what, Jesus, what God demands from our hearts is, uh, what God, God demands is our very own hearts, not our ability to follow laws. He demands our surrendered hearts that he can, he can take and crush and break and do the painful work of transformation in. This is so much more difficult than religion. In fact, it's impossible. So I wonder as we as we hear Jesus' words when he says, your hearts are far from me, even though you say these religious words, I wonder if we understand what that truly means. I think that maybe it means that the drug dealer on East 14th is closer to God than maybe some church members in Oakland. It might mean that the prostitute is closer to God than, than some worship leaders. It might mean that the homosexual in San Francisco is closer to the heart of God than some pastors. When God says that people, you, you hypocrites are putting up a front, um, and when he says that your hearts are far from me, I think that's what it means because the religious people, so often they're the ones that are farthest from God. Uh, there's, there's a line from uh, a hymn called Rock of Ages, um, it says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And these people, the, these um, quote-unquote sinners, well, they are sinners, just like we are, but we think that they're worse off than we are. Uh, we think, well, they're, they're farther away from God. They're, 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 uh, there's less hope for them. But the Bible says the opposite. It says, if you have nothing to come, with, come to God with, that's the best position to be in, when you have nothing to bring to God. So let's move on to verse, uh, this next verse. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say if a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that, that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So here Jesus explains what exactly are these, or he gives an example of what these Pharisees are doing. He, he, he looks at uh, a practice that they had. So the Jews, they had uh, an understanding that they had to honor their parents. They had to take care of the Ten Commandments, honor father and mother. And this was a given. All the Jews were to take care of their parents. But what was going on was uh, 
the, the Pharisees were telling the Jews, saying, well, you know what? If you like, um, the money that you would have spent to take care of your parents to provide for them, uh, actually, if you give it to us or if you give it to the temple, if you say that that money is Corbin, um, and uh, the parentheses tells us what it means, it means that this money has been given to God, well, then you're no longer obligated to care for your parents. You're no longer obligated to provide for them, as the Mosaic Law said. And that is exactly what these what the Pharisees were doing. They're saying, like, the, the, the rules of our elders, they take precedence over what is going on, what the Bible says, and this is what you guys need, this is what you guys can do. And Jesus says, this is an example of how you guys are being hypocritical. This is an example of how you guys are taking the rules of your elders and, and using them to take precedence over the command of God. So Jesus continues in verse 14. And he called the people and to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. I want us to focus in on what's being said in this parenthesis, that Jesus declared all foods clean. Remember that, uh, again, the, the Pharisees, they were knocking on the disciples and they were knocking on Jesus because they broke a, a, a dietary law. They broke, they said, you didn't wash your hands. Um, this is, uh, you ate defiled food. And Jesus, he declared, by declaring all foods clean, it went beyond declaring all foods clean. Remember that the Jews, they, they, they every day of their life, they thought about, um, you know, what, what can I do and what can I not do? What does the Torah prescribe and what does it not prescribe? Uh, if something is clean, then I can eat it. If it's unclean, then I can't eat it. <clears throat> this is something that they dealt with every single day for a long, long time. This was the lifestyle of the Jews. And Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going to declare all foods clean. And this offended the Jews. This offended especially the Pharisees. Uh, the implication was not only that the foods were clean, it was that there's something beyond that. And uh, there, was, there was something called the, the, the Jews, they had something called parody maps. It was a concept that they had as to what was clean and what was not clean. And I don't know if it was like, like a literal like map on a wall where they drew things, um, or it may, may, have, may have just been uh, an assumed understanding of how things were. Well, what, what was on these parody maps? These, these parody maps, they were drawn up according to what was clean and what was not clean. And so, they, 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 what was the foods that, that they considered clean, it went inside like a little circle and they said, this is okay. The unclean foods, like, no, this, it's outside the circle. Those are not clean. Um, certain activities that, well, yeah, the Bible says that it's clean. Other activities, it's unclean. So, those are outside the map. Those we don't, we don't even think about doing. The most significant thing was the fact that the Jews were inside the parody map. They were considered clean. The Gentiles, they were not. And this is the most shocking of all because the Jews were God's chosen people. The Jews were the ones that God gave the rules to to maintain a covenant relationship with him. And this, by Jesus declaring all foods clean, he was saying not only are all foods clean, he's saying um, that... Not, not only do you, are you Jews, 
to have a relationship with God, but the Gentiles can as well. He's saying that the kingdom of God is here, and it extends to everyone. It extends to everyone. And remember, the Jewish, the Jewish identity, it was defined by how they kept, their, their, kept the covenant, how they were able to follow the rules. But you, don't, you no longer need to follow these dietary rules. You no longer need to deal with these, uh, these you know, how you eat or what you eat. Um, so he's saying, uh, he, he's saying that that's, that's it. Christ has brought, he, he didn't abolish the law, he fulfilled it. And he's saying, this is what it means. So the Gentiles, they, they, are, uh, they are partakers in the mercy of God now. And if, if we look at how Mark is written out, Mark was written to a Gentile audience. Um, Gentile meaning that these are people that are not Jews. Um, they're outside the covenant um, community up until this point. Uh, and, and God says, uh, and God says um, it, it's, it's beyond that now. And... Um, I just lost my train of thought. I'm not used to holding this mic. Um, he, he's saying he's saying that these these uh, that the that the Gentiles they they are they are within the covenant community. And then in the book of Mark, uh, as we see beyond this episode, Jesus starts ministering to the Gentiles. He says, um, you know, these people that you Jews considered unclean, that you considered um, the, that God didn't have a relationship with them, Jesus actually starts serving them and he starts ministering to them. And this is the beginning of Christ, uh, Christ working amongst the nations. Uh, so that's, that's what's going on. So he continues in verse 20. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covering wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, and evil things, and these evil things come from within, and they defile, they are what defile a person. So, Jesus is saying here, look, look, at, look at the rules that you guys have set up, and look at what, look at these sins that I've listed, and, and uh, if, if you guys have been going to Sunday school class, you guys know that um, I, I love the fact that we're going it because we're not just looking at the Ten Commandments as a set of rules, as a list of commandments to keep. Like, say, this is what you need to do. You need to keep these commandments to be a good person. Um, no, actually, what we've learned in Sunday school class is we're guilty of every single sin, right? We're, I'm guilty of adultery. I'm guilty of lying. I'm guilty of murder. Because the New Testament sets a higher standard for, for, for the commandments. And... Uh, this and and uh, what Jesus is saying here is no, actually um, these commandments that I'm appealing to. Let's look at the list. He says, uh, "Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery." These are straight from the Ten Commandments. Um, the second half of the list: wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. These are not actions; they are they're they're attitudes. It's a way of thinking. And Jesus says in Matthew five, he says, "If you guys are guilty of, if you guys." Uh, even have the thought of committing this sin, even if you if you have a bad attitude towards someone or if you've lust towards someone, you are guilty of this sin. So that means what, that when I'm at the bookstore and I see a magazine with a hot chick on the cover and I lust after her, I'm guilty of adultery. So I've been I'm I'm adulterer. If if I hate someone, the Bible calls me a murderer. I am a murderer. Where does this stuff come from? It comes from the heart. Jesus says it's not whether or not you 
eat. It's not whether or not you, uh, it's not how you eat certain foods. It's not what goes into your body. And I think that's so um, back, that's so different from what we think nowadays. We think that, we think that, uh, well, you know, if I listen to Christian music and if I read Christian books and if I hang out with my Christian friends, then I think I'll be okay. Um, I need to protect my kids from, from, uh, from their non-Christian friends. I need to, uh, well, not just my kids, myself. Uh, I need to stay away from these certain movies. Um, this is what I need to do to uh, be clean. But the Bible says it's not that you have you start your life with a blank slate and you say, well, as you go through life, it's, you you start learning to sin. The Bible says that we're sinful at birth. Um, and, and David said, my, in sin, my mother conceived me. Um, we have. Uh, this thing called sin in our lives, and it reaches into every part of our lives. And sin is sin is what comes out of us. It's not something that, um, if you apply it to us, it's not like when those you know add water and it'll grow. Um, it's it, it'll grow on its own. Like I don't need someone to tell me to lust. I don't need someone to tell me to hate. I have a heart that is wicked. I have a heart that that does a fine job of breaking the commandments without TV, without um, without the computer, without um, gossip magazines. There was a, a well-known guy called, named uh, G.K. Chesterton, and in the early 20th century uh, a newspaper in Britain, they sent out a question to a bunch of famous authors, and you know this was this was you know, they, they saw World War One and they saw that um, everything was being was just breaking down. Um, why is there so much wrong? Why is there so much badness in the world? G.K. Chesterton, he responded to the newspaper, and this is what he said. Dear sir, this in response to their question, what is wrong with worlds? Dear sir, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton understood it. He understood what was wrong with worlds was him. It wasn't the fact that there were people um, pumping out like filth in the media. It wasn't the fact that... Uh, he was influenced by the war. It was the fact that he was a sinner and he understood that he was the problem. And our hearts, Jesus in, in this passage, he's saying our hearts is what, what the problem is. If you guys sin, it comes from our own hearts. That, and for us Christians, I know that we hear in culture a lot, listen to your hearts or follow your heart. Um, if, you wanna, if you have a dream, just Go for it. Whatever your heart says, um, go for it. Just do it. But that isn't the Bible's assessment of the heart. The Bible says, you know what you guys are saying is, it implies that the heart it knows what's best. But actually, the Bible says that the, that the heart is evil. Uh, it says that, in Jeremiah, it says that the heart is desperately wicked. So when you sin, it's because you're a wicked person. It's not that you have bad influences. It's because you're a bad person. Um, and this is what we need to hear. He's saying that uh, every single one of us, it, our, hearts, our hearts, it's a ticking time bomb of sin. And every single day, it explodes. John Calvin, he said that our hearts, they're little idol factories. And every single day, it pumps out little idols for us to worship. Other than God, this is how bad our hearts are. Not only are, are we dirty, not only are our hearts... Um, Gross. Not only are our hearts um, stained by sin, it's that they are the start of sin. Um, it is the fact. It is that it is worse than you can imagine. So I think what Jesus is saying here is this: it's it's um, 
Well, I think what the Bible says is this. It's, it's, we are helpless and we're hopeless in our sin, and we can do nothing to fix it. And as we read through the Gospels, as we go to church, and as we continue to live our life, I think what we need to get a sense of is we need to continue feeling hopeless and helpless because that's exactly the Bible's assessment of us without Christ. We are hopeless. We are helpless. And it's such a good place to be because that's when you realize that something's wrong and someone needs to fix it. We realize we have no one to turn to but Jesus. And uh, this world, they'll say, well, you know what? You're not so bad. And if you just... Follow if you if you do these things um, if you if you come if you if you go along with this these prescribed set of actions then you can become a better person or they say uh, well you're not that bad of a person just willpower be better the Bible says you can't do that you can't be that we can't change our hearts and we can't change especially our appetites we can't force ourselves to want good rather than evil. Remember that song, the strength to follow your commands can never come from me. The desire to follow God, the desire to be in right relationship with God could never come from us. And when we read this passage, I want us to feel a desperation that we are wicked. I want us to feel like, do you ever just sin and you go, how do I change that? How do I change that? Every Every time we sin, every time we fail, I think that's a reminder. It's a wound. It's, it's meant to wound us with realization that there's something wrong with me. There's something that I cannot change on my own. Uh, and to be wounded by this sort of graceful message of, of your own sin is where we need to be. Um, for us Christians, for every step of our lives, we continue not... We, we, don't, we don't say, well, as I grow older as a Christian, I am going to learn how to do the practice. I'm, I'm going to become a better Christian, or I'm going to learn how to uh, practice my spiritual disciplines more. Every step of the Christian life is us learning to be more dependent on Christ, more dependent. Our, we were saved not because we're good people, and God isn't going to look on you with more favor because you can follow a list of rules. We need to, God looks on us, on us with pleasure when we live our life wholly dependent on Christ. So we can't change our hearts. Um, and don't you, when you sin, like, don't you want a new heart? Uh, one that doesn't tell you, do this evil, do this evil. Uh, we can't try harder. We can't say, well, God, I'm going to make this promise uh, to, to be a better person. And then if you have lived long enough, you know that any promise that you're going to make to God, you're going to, you're going to break. Right? And every time you try to rededicate your life to God, uh, it ain't happening. You know? It's not. It, it's, it's good to want to be right with God. It's, it's good to want to, um, to be better morally. But that is not the gospel. It's not God empowering you to be a better person. It's God living, um, living. It's it's Christ living through you. So what do we do with sin? Um, what, what do we do with our? What do we do when we sin? Like, do we try to for Christians? Do we try to live a better life? Do we try to um, maybe you know avoid certain certain things? Uh, no. I can turn off the TV. I can turn off the internet. I can stay away from certain people, but I'm still going to sin. I'm still going to lust after 
um, after women. I'm still going to lie. I'm still going to be a murderer at heart. So how do we change these things? How do we get to the point of desperation? And I, as, as, we, as we continue to live, I want us to understand that we are sinners so much worse than we can imagine. Uh, but God loves us so much more than we can uh, hope that he would, he would love us. Uh, that we need to have a sense of desperation in this uh, and cry out like cry out to Jesus like what can we do like I, I, I can give you like a set of rules or you know do this or that but that would just be like the Pharisees right I think the most proper thing to do when we, reali- when we realize the evil of our hearts is to say God have mercy on me a sinner we admit that we can do nothing on our own and the Pharisees did, didn't get it, but I hope that we do. Um, we, we have to come to God with a, humbly and trusting that he will make things new. And God offers forgiveness to the worst of sinners. He offers it to um, me. I am the worst of sinners. You are the worst of sinners. We're so much worse off than we think we are. But God will make new hearts in us. Um, so I want to close this time by reading uh, this passage from Psalm 51. And it's a it's a. It's a psalm that David wrote after he committed adultery, after he killed someone. Um, and I'm not going to close in prayer. Rather, I, would want, I want us to, to make this our prayer. Psalm 51 would be our prayer. And you guys might want to close your eyes just so you can focus on the words. Uh, psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise.